What does a pharmacist do? Well, most people might answer that a pharmacist dispenses the medications that my doctor prescribes. Now, I work with a ton of great pharmacists, and one thing that I don't generally see is excitement about pills in a vial. And this is probably because pharmacists have been trained to do so much more. So what can you get excited about in your community? To find out, let's go Beyond the Scripts. Welcome back to Beyond the Scripts. I'm Will Tuft, the Director of Education at Pioneer Rx. And today we have a guest from Minnesota, Miss Laura Schwartzwald, up at GuidePoint Pharmacy. And uh, today I want to talk about just some interesting things going on in pharmacy. I know that it's the year 2021. And so that kind of has this like, uh, I don't know, this kind of built in futuristic feel for those of us who grew up in the 70s and 80s, because, you know, we're supposed to have flying cars, we're supposed to have all of this cool technology. And when it comes down to it, it seems like we're doing a lot of the same stuff the same way we always have. Um, so before we jump into the pharmacy, I'm, I'm curious to know, is there a piece of technology that that you really like, that you use in your personal life or professional life? doesn't necessarily have to be pharmacy, uh, but is there a piece of technology that you like that maybe you didn't think you would have in 2021, or it seems like a really 2021 thing to have? <laughs> wow, that's a good question. Oddly enough, I think the biggest piece of technology that we've been using lately, and it is pharmacy related, has been uh, the JOT forms and um, and Amplicare um, to help us predict who will need immunizations and specifically now COVID and um, reach out to the patients before they actually even reach out to us to identify and get them scheduled for vaccines. So I didn't even know JOT forms existed. And using that along with the some of the tools that AmpliCare had developed that again, I didn't know about, we were able to send large groups of people messages to let them know where they're at, and when they'd be scheduled in for their for their immunizations, and even MTMs and things like that, we're thinking about expanding it into the future. Yeah, that's that's one of those crazy things that uh, who would have thought in 2021 that would have been one of the the major uh, requirements or things that we had to deal with. You know, in 2020, uh, things like Zoom and virtual meetings uh, were were much more important than we would have ever expected. And then going into 2021, uh, you know, Joe McCamey had a, a webinar with us recently talking about uh, jot forms and and some of the difficulty with scheduling the uh, uh, all of the immunization. So who who would have thought in 2021 that would be the you know dystopian uh, fallout <laughs> of of a pandemic is you know figuring out scheduling immunizations. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when we did the flu shots, we would go to we did many many flu shot clinics and of course you'd just go through and give the immunizations and then afterwards you would work on the billing part of it and the reporting part of it but by by with chat forms or any other type of service along those lines uh, you can actually get it done proactively 
and get all the billing done, just go through and do the shots and then get that reporting done. In Minnesota, we have a requirement that all the reporting has to be done within one day. Uh, nationally, I think it's it's 72 hours, but in Minnesota, they want all the reporting done at 24. So oh, wow. When you're, yeah, when you're doing, like this week, we're supposed to do, uh, be immunizing about 1,200 people. And so trying to load in 1,200 shots after you've done them within 24 hours and get them reported is a daunting challenge. So I'm glad that that technology is available. (laughs) That's a heavy lift. So you're doing that at multiple locations. Tell me a little bit about the the guide point reach. It's okay. In Minnesota, (laughs) the way that it's so confusing with this pandemic Um, in Minnesota, the way that you can get vaccine, there's basically four different ways you can get it through the federal pharmacy partner, which would be the CVS, Walgreens. And then our state has picked um, Walmart and Thrifty White as their federal pharmacy partners. They recently added Hy-Vee. Um, so we're kind of waiting on that that side of things because we picked CPESN as our federal pharmacy partner and they haven't uh, been selected in Minnesota yet. Um, but through the Department of Health, there's a couple different avenues that you can get the immunizations, um, they have gone through different state coalitions. So they de- they've divided up the state into eight different regions. And um, those coalitions have been working with healthcare providers up until now. They had not been working with pharmacies, but now they've included pharmacies. So you can get vaccine through your coalition partner, um, but then you can also receive vaccine through your local public health if you uh, partner up with the local public health. And then finally, there's a few pilot programs that the Department of Health has um, initiated. And CPSN was selected as a pilot site or sites. There's actually 18 of them. So GuidePoint is receiving the vaccine through the pilots. We've also partnered with our local public health, and then we've been also getting it through the coalition. So while we're waiting still on the federal pharmacy partner part of it, um, we're still getting it three different ways. So we'll be doing immunizations at COVID immunizations at five or six different sites here on Thursday and Friday. Are all of the the guide point pharmacies going to be providing immunizations or um, because I know you guys are kind of spread out throughout the state of Minnesota a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, we're, we're spread out throughout the entire state, except in the Twin Cities area. Uh, Most of the guide point pharmacies are getting immunizations, COVID immunizations. Um, What I've done for the Brainerd Lakes region, which is the area that I'm from, is I've mostly centered the vaccine around the Brainerd location. And then that Brainerd location will do clinics at other sites. So Brainerd will be going all the way down to Rochester, which is about a three or four hour drive um, up to Longville, which is an hour drive north of us, um, Pine River. And then we'll also do Brainerd. And then we're doing a couple mobile clinics this weekend. Wow, just the the sheer logistics of the uh, the COVID vaccinations have been really really crazy to watch, and and how how adaptive everybody has had to be. You know, here locally we've had um, at the state fairgrounds they have tents set up, and you know it it seems like independent pharmacy is 
best poised to fill that role. Um, and I know you've been very involved in the state of Minnesota. Like, how do you see that shaping up over the next couple months? Do you see this continuing to be like very problematic or is it starting to, to roll out a little bit smoother with, with independent pharmacies? That's a hard question to answer. Um, I think just trying to keep track of first and second doses, which vaccine you have. And now, of course, we have the third vaccine that we'll be getting at some of our pharmacies this week um, from Johnson & Johnson. Um, just trying to keep everything organized and make sure that like there's different volumes and different vials or from different vials for the vaccines. There's different storage requirements. Um, there's different everything you have to be so vaccine specific yet you're giving them really rapidly. So that part of it I think is going to be continue to be a little bit of a struggle unless you're really, really organized. Um, but overall, like the rollout of the vaccine itself, that's become kind of routine. So that part of it has been nice. Yeah. So how do you see this affecting GuidePoint and your your kind of stance in the community? Are, are you building new relationships out of this? I mean, it's you, you want to look for the silver linings anytime you have these adverse conditions, I guess. Yeah. When we partnered up with the local public health, um, what we did was we had a large health system, which is Essentia, and then our local public health director and then GuidePoint met together on a Thursday morning. And instead of all of us trying to reach the same population, we divided up the population. So GuidePoint was tasked with the daycare providers and the, the teachers or the educators in our county, growing county. And when we identified those specific providers and they came in, the clinics went really, really well. They were, um, they were in and out within the 15 to 20 minutes and it was smooth, it was organized. And from that, several of the educators and daycare providers have switched over to using our services as a pharmacy, um, which has been nice. And then also the fact that we collaborated with our public health and with the health system um, that was picked up in the media. So we've been, uh, been lucky enough to have some positive media from that at the state level and at the local level. So it's been overall positive for us. I think we've heard a couple negative things in the media. I think there was a pharmacist that unfortunately had destroyed some vaccine. Yeah, and then, yeah we heard about that. Yeah, and that was in Wisconsin. Um, but unfortunately, in Minnesota, a pharmacy accidentally reconstituted the the. I, that was the Pfizer vaccine. Well, that's the only one I could have. They reconstituted the Pfizer vaccine with the wrong diluent. So that was unfortunate. So I think the media likes to sometimes pick up some of the negatives. So having really well organized events um, has been, it's been nice to have something positive happen in the media. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It, there, there's definitely a, uh, 
you know, whatever's going on, the media is going to run with the opposite. You know, if things are going well, it's it's fun to watch the the tragedy and and the 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 train wreck, the the you know tornado warnings. Uh, you know, all it's good for ratings, but then it's when uh, when things have been rough, like twenty twenty, it's really it's been nice that everybody's been celebrating the the positives and the and the victories, and and there's been much more of those. It seems like. Um, here recently, especially with community pharmacy and, and the immunization rollout. So, um, so you've always had an eye on the future and, and an eye on the community, uh, there at guide point. So, you know, outside of immunizations, uh, even before, uh, the, the big role you played with Minnesota this year, helping with that, um, you've always kind of been very involved with precepting and, uh, helping to educate the next generation of pharmacies for the future. Um, so, you know, how do you see all of this 2020 rolling into, you know, the next few years and and how that kind of changes where pharmacy is heading? Or, I think with precepting, um, I joke that I'm the oldest preceptor. I don't think I'm the oldest physical, physically, maybe I'm on the older side, but um for the University of Minnesota, I think I've been their preceptor for the longest amount of time. So I've had several hundred students from, I think, seven different colleges of pharmacy. When the pandemic hit, they had to, well, like everything, it, it turned everything upside down. So not only were the rotations shortened, but they completely changed how they're doing like the IPPE students what years they're doing the IPP, they went from a longitudinal, well, no, they did it from a condensed rotation to more of a longitudinal where they're doing the rotations over a period of years. Um, I am slightly worried that the students from the pandemic are missing out on some valuable information that they would have received during those rotations. But then again, they're also picking up things that that you're hopefully never going to live through again um, with the pandemic um, that will be life altering. The thing that I like to try and instill in all the students, and it's been easier with the pandemic because everything that's happened with the pandemic shows that decisions you make during the pandemic can be lasting and affect and immediately affect large populations of people. But up until the pan pandemic, some of the times when you tell the students that they have a big impact on the way that the future of pharmacy is going to be formed, they, they kind of took it with a grain of salt, like, yeah, you're just saying that. Um, but, but again, with the pandemic, they can see in real time that their decisions are affecting the profession and it's shaping where it's going to go. Some of these emergency declarations at the state level are probably going to stay beyond the pandemic. For instance, um, our ability to immunize down to the age of three in Minnesota. I don't know if that's going to change anytime soon because now that we've shown that we can make a big impact and a positive impact, why would you go back the other way? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's there's changes that happen over time when, you know, 
it, it takes something like legislation or it takes something like a pandemic, some kind of catalyst that is going to shift that it doesn't make sense to go back. You've proven your value and your effectiveness and and you've kind of moved the needle for you know being able to operate a little bit higher level uh, you know with your license. So I mean where where do you think that that's kind of heading next? Um, I think immunizations have been kind of a no-brainer. That makes sense for independent pharmacies. Um, point of care testing, I think is like such a huge opportunity. No doctor's office wants a, a waiting room full of you know flu patients, right? Like it's just not a smart way to do that. Um, what else do you see around the corner? like where where else could that could that go? I've seen with telehealth, um, Minnesota and many other states have telepharmacies, but telemedicine has been one of the areas that pharmacy has been the pioneer for a long, long time. Um, one of the things that we could, we were limited with in telepharmacy was the MTM services. And now with the pandemic, we've been able to get paid for telepharmacy MTM services. And I don't think that that's going to go back to requirements for face-to-face. I think the option for face-to-face will be there, but um, just with the way technology has evolved and how we can ensure privacy, I I think that's going to be a a big direction that pharmacy is going to turn in. Um, the next few years. Just before the pandemic, I was involved in a um, advisory group for our the state of Minnesota to define primary care services in the state. And that group was moving towards declaring pharmacy pharmacists as providers. And we were on our third meeting, the the day after our third meeting, um, I went home and that was the first case in Minnesota. So it oh, wow. put it to a screeching halt. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the emergency declarations have pushed towards allowing pharmacies to become, uh, to have provider status. Um, for instance, we can now order vaccines, whereas in the past we had to use a collaborative practice agreement. So even though the pandemic is pushing us towards giving us a provider status, I'm hoping to resume that advisory committee um, in the next couple months so that we can also kind of formally declare what primary services, what the definition in Minnesota of primary service and is and who can provide those services for reimbursement. I mean, what kind of services do you see specifically? Um, that you you think pharmacists could really have a positive impact in? Well, we're doing at our store, we've been doing a lot of um, MTM services, which we've already been reimbursed, but we're also moving into pharmacogenomics. Um, we had pharmacogenomic testing for a long time, but then some of the, the companies had to halt their practice. And I see that just recently, some of those companies are back um, resuming. Like, I think one of them is right. Um, We were also, in the past, we were limited in other pharmacogenomic testing services to 
certain companies, but other other companies like One Ohm has now allowed pharmacies to to conduct pharmacogenomics. So I'm hoping that things like pharmacogenomic testing, um, I mean, MedSync has been around for a long time. We've moved almost everybody over to MedSync services. So that's been nice. Um, other point of care testing that I could envision. We recently were able to do a flu shot clinic for our the employees of the county. And that was new. Um, it's a long story, but the county through some politics wasn't allowing anybody to come in and do a flu shot clinic for the county employees. They had to go get their flu shots on their own, but they reversed that and they let us do a flu shot clinic from that flu shot clinic. They were so happy with how it went that they, they reached out to us to ask if we would be able to provide biometric screenings. So this summer we will be offering to the, the county employees, which are about 500 of a biometric screening um, process where they can pick things like cholesterol testing, blood pressure, stroke assessment. They can include a body fat assessment, um, we can, blood glucose, basically the whole gamut of the screenings so that they can help be proactive at preventing uh, chronic disease state. Also, nice. yeah, it's been, that was a, a surprise. It was nice. And <laughs> we've also been doing a lot with um, diabetes, diabetes prevention, and then diabetes self-management education and training. Excellent. So one of the things, the first thing you touched on was pharmacogenomics and, uh, and, and testing there. And that's one of those things that, you know, um, and the uh, the podcast the other the other week with um, with Brad White, we were kind of talking about that a little bit and how um, you know medicine is still largely one size fits all and and kind of dispensed like um, you know just kind of off the shelf when we have such a more tailored experience with so many other things in society and, and, you know, restaurants and, 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 uh, clothes. And I mean, you name it, the consumer experience is extremely personal and yet medicine is still very off the rack largely. So, you know, how do you, how do you see that changing? How do you see, you know, being able to use the data about your patients to tailor their experience? You know, is there a realistic future in that an independent pharmacy? I think so. When a few years ago, um, are you familiar with ACT teams, assertive community treatment? Is that a term that's familiar to you? I don't you? think so, no. So um, patients with SPMI, which stands for severe and persistent mental health illnesses, um, which again, during this pandemic, um, it's been a tragedy for patients that have SPMI. Uh, but patients with mental health illnesses often don't live as long as the general population. In fact, it, I can't tell you the exact number of years, but recently it was 27 years shorter than wow. a typical. Yeah, it's, it's, it's terrible. And it's very difficult for patients with mental health illnesses to get the services they need, uh, first of all, because there's a sh shortage of providers, but secondly, 
they're a little bit difficult, more difficult to reach and to treat. So assertive community treatment teams, and this isn't just, um, this isn't only in Minnesota, other states have these teams as well, are designed to have a multidisciplinary team approach based on keeping the patients in their homes rather than having their mental health illness escalate out of control into a crisis unit. And there's different levels of crisis units, but the ACT team in particular is a home-based model. So a few years ago, pharmacies were not included on the ACT team. And one of the psychiatrists that was involved thought that wasn't that wasn't a good idea. So they reached out to our pharmacy and asked us if we would embed a pharmacist on the team and basically change change the focus of how they delivered the care. So usually with medication th- therapy management services or disease state management services, a pharmacist is kind of off on the side doing the, the services and then they'll send a report to the doctor with the way that they had it designed the pharmacist was the first point of contact for the patient and they performed the mtm session to which the whole care plan was built around so instead of adding mtm services to an already developed care plan the mtm services becomes the primary care plan and we did that for a year as a a study through a residency, and then we we um, looked at the results of that study, and it turned out that our pharmacist was able to positively impact basically everybody that she did an MTM session, oh, wow. all the patients, and they were able to take that across the nation to some of the conferences for mental health mental health providers. And from that, it just became very clear to me that looking at pharmacogenomic testing, because in psychiatry, pharmacogenomic testing is one of the big tools that we would have to help treat these patients, because not everybody reacts the same way to all different medications. Sure. So that's how we kind of some of the things that I see in the future incorporate weaving things like pharmacogenomic testing, biometric screening. That's where we started doing the diabetes um, prevention because a lot of the medications that we use to treat schizophrenia cause weight gain and um, high hypertension, hyperlipidemia and high blood sugar. So weaving different point of care testing services and different tools that we have available into that whole plan is something that I think community pharmacy and independent pharmacy, it, they're poised to succeed. No, it's, it's interesting because it kind of takes it all full circle because that's where MTM and, and a lot of those things came from is that 
patients would have one one ailment and and they get medications and they experiment and you know maybe going to a psychologist or or somebody over here with this medication and then now they have weight gain or they have these other side effects that they're maybe addressing that medication side effects with another prescriber uh, their general physician or, you know, so so not seeing that correlation directly is where pharmacists kind of got involved with a lot of the MTM model to begin with. So it just kind of makes sense to have that front loaded where the pharmacist is involved in those decisions and, and that kind of therapy regiment from, from square one. If you look at like transitions of care, that's usually where we're seeing some of the failures in our our treatment plans. And I think one of the reasons why that resident was able to succeed so just unbelievably succeed beyond what I had imagined was because she was able to see those transitions and catch those gaps or prevent those gaps before they even happened. Because a lot of patients that were on the ACT team didn't have access to a primary care provider. And that's, again, where we're talking about weaving. We can talk about what is primary care in Minnesota and who can provide those services. Had she had the ability to provide those services, then she would have even been more successful because she wouldn't have had to rely on referral services. But it worked. Gotcha, gotcha, and and that kind of model uh, or, or that specific uh, scenario was that also tying in some of that telepharmacy uh, opportunity as well. So with a patient who's at home, you're you're really weaving a, a lot of those different things in together, which I, I think is is kind of how it all works. You know, any any one of those pieces independently is is a really great tool, but but when you see them all work together, um, that that's like the success story that can really get people excited. Yeah, unfortunately, she wasn't able to be paid for any of the telemedicine services that she performed. Um, so she had to go to their homes for that. But now that's all changed. So if we reenacted the same study post-pandemic, I think it would even be more effective because those patients tend to have some, um, a lot of them have some antisocial behavior problems that they don't really want people at their homes. And so those are the people that she wasn't able to connect with, um, whereas right now she probably could. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that that probably transcends to, uh, you know, any any other uh, area of mental health or, or physical health or you know, chronic care disease management, like any of those areas where if you can meet patients where they're at, make it convenient and make it also, um, you know, a plausible model for a pharmacy to obtain because you can't just drive around to every single patient's house every day, obviously. But, you know, being able to leverage technology really seems like you're getting the best of every single one of those categories. So it's interesting. Um, where do you see pharmacogenomics like, you know, on a on a day-to-day for patients that are dealing with, you know, uh, other chronic disease states? I think in order for pharmacogenomics for us 
this is can't be true for every pharmacy, but for GuidePoint Pharmacy, I think for us to succeed with pharmacogenomics, um, we need to have partnerships with providers. And luckily, one of our stores, the Crosby store, has had success with one of the local providers. So that's been um, that's been a positive story. Unfortunately, I haven't had that same success at all different pharmacies in the Brainerd Lakes area. Um, for instance, the psychiatrist that was really our champion was has recently retired. So I lost that connection and a lot of the, the ex existing psychiatrists and psychiatric providers in the area are performing their own pharmacogenomic testing. So I, again, I think for us, in order for it to succeed, we just need to form those partnerships. Partnerships are everything in healthcare. So where do you see, um, you know, personalized medicine as, as pertain to, um, you know, pharmacogenomics and, and how patients are going to react to specific medications? Where do you see that personalized medication path going for GuidePoint or for pharmacy in general? I think as well, I guess it just depends on where genetic farm, like where the boundaries of what they can do with the genetic testing. So some people might perceive genetic testing as a negative because you've then just released your genetic material to, to places that's beyond your control. I personally don't, I think there's going to be regulatory regulations in place that will prevent that from occurring. Um, and if that is the case, if if they have the proper regulatory controls on it, then I believe that we can tailor make uh, specific profiles for patients so that they can su succeed. A lot of the ACT patients from the MTM services, we were able to identify adherence problems. And from those adherence problems, then we were able to put them on not only med synchronization, but oftentimes uh, bubble packing services, which kept them way, just so much more adherent. Of course, by doing bubble packs, you're giving them the medications. You're not necessarily making sure that they're taking their medications, but even the contact that the pharmacist has with the patient, because in order to do med synchronization or the bubble packs, you have to contact the patient and basically do a little mini assessment before you, you assemble the next bubble packs. So I think the success of knowing which medications are working for the patient, and if they're not working, being able to reach out to the provider to say, hey, maybe we should look at performing some of the pharmacogenomic testing services so that we can see if this patient is going to respond to this medication that gets, again, woven into the equation. And then looking at whether their bubble packs are staying on target, everything is just giving us one more tool to make sure that our patients are, are doing what they need to stay healthy. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned the kind of the worry about, you know, the the data. And that's really the big thing with 2021 with the 2020s is we don't have flying cars. We don't have a lot of I still want my hoverboard, you know, um, 
we don't we don't have a lot of those futuristic things that that we thought would be so crazy and flashy. What we do have is a tremendous amount of data, and that's that's really where most of the 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 really really fun technology stuff is centered around, and and so like everybody's taking the uh, the what is it twenty three and Me and the the DNA tests and everything. I'm like. I'm out. <laughs> I'm 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 going to keep that to myself and until you know there's a medical uh benefit to that. I don't know if I just want to input all my data into that into that data dump. Yeah, I'm not but, quite uh, there yet either. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want I want to use the information for good. I just know that every time you use whenever even when you're thinking about um straight, like expanding the bounds of the profession, 95% of the time, and I hope it's even higher than 95% of the time, the reason why we're doing that, I wholeheartedly think is so that we can do things for the good. But I'm not so naive that I don't know that there's another subset of people out there that will take that and twist it, and maybe not do it quite for the good, but maybe for, for personal gain. And that's what we have to be careful about, that balance of, yes, we want pharmacogenomics to go forward, but we want it to do so if it's going to benefit the patient. And yeah, it still has to benefit the pharmacy because if we can't make money, we're going to go out of business. But the primary focus has to be the patient. It can't be your profit. Yeah, um, that was going to be my next question with, you know, any kind of new process with any kind of new technology there there's an investment there's a learning curve and so there has to be some kind of return on investment you know is there a business model that makes sense for providing that kind of service or is it more of you know a conversion of your future your future business and and what that looks like because you've put those tools in place early i mean what how how does that shape out I think it's a mix. Um, well, if we took pharmacogenomics as an example, some of the companies, the pharmacy does get reimbursed. Um, the one ohm, we don't. So we're basically providing the service for nothing except the hope. And I hate basing any business plan on hope, but the hope that by benefiting the patient and providing the services, you can c create more connections with those patients that will be used for future services. I hate business plans based on that. <laughs> but that's what I have to deal with with that particular company. Um, a lot of the other services that we were doing, like DSME services are a reimbursed service. It's not easy to get this, the reimbursement, but at least with diabetes prevention and diabetes or DSME, once you get that patient, that's your patient, you are their provider. So you've got all of their business. And the more things that you do for the patient, like let's say we start to do MedSync and then we do bubble packs. From bubble packs, you get all, all of their non-prescription medications and you're getting all their prescriptions done on a 28-day cycle. So you get kind of more refills in there. So it does make sense from a business point of view. Plus, if I got down into the nitty gritty, I'm not filling vials for all of those different medications. Some of those med, one of some, we have over 300 people that do 
bubble packs in our Brainerd pharmacy alone. That's not even counting our MedSync patients. When you talk about how many vials that is, that's 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 actually turning into some some big numbers for for our overhead that we can avoid. And now I'm getting technical, but it's just like little parts that make a big picture on whether a pharmacy can succeed or not, because community pharmacy is not an easy business to succeed in. No, and that's definitely one of the the reoccurring trends that we see is that, you know, step one is you've got to do things more economically and do things in a way that makes more sense, like doing a med sync where you're managing that patient's therapy, you know, at one time moving them through workflow and, and having that patient engagement and all the opportunities that that model builds, you know, moving forward. So, I mean, that definitely seems like the starting point for all of that. And you mentioned, you know, business plans that kind of rely on hope, but that's been the the independent pharmacy mantra for years now, you know, and CPESN is, is a great example of how it's, hey, let's prove the value and and let's let's hope that you know, it's, it's recognized and it's just a way of kind of organizing, but, but so much of independent pharmacy, I feel like has been used to working on that model. Like, let's just be awesome and, and hope that they notice. <laughs> well, luckily for, for us, CPS in Minnesota was struggling. Um, even two or three years ago, we were trying to build the network and, and build it in areas so that we had network adequacy across the whole state. And we're a big state. I know we're not as big as Texas, but we we're a pretty big state. And so we were, and we don't have a lot of independent pharmacies. Um, a lot of the independent pharmacies, especially in the metro area, which is Minneapolis and St. St. Paul have basically gone out of business. So we were trying to, build the network. And over the course of a year, I think we've gone from 30 some pharmacies to now I believe we're over 130. So we've grown rapidly. Um, We are working very hard at network adequacy. But because we were able to show our results, one of the things that we did with CPSN Minnesota is we had to think about something. Why are we doing this? Like, what, what is our attraction? And the thing that we came up with in community pharmacy, and I know it's not just community pharmacy, it's probably pharmacy or other types of healthcare and maybe even other businesses. So much of our day before was spent reacting to things that were sometimes out of our control. If you got a phone call from a patient, it usually wasn't a phone call to say, hey, you guys are so awesome. I just wanted to <laughs> let you know, have a good day. It was more like, why didn't you guys do X? Or, hey, why didn't this happen? So we were reacting to things. And once you react to something in healthcare or pharmacy, most of the time, it's not a good thing. But by flipping it, flip the pharmacy, by flipping it and becoming proactive, you're preventing those problems in the first place. And out of everything over probably the last five years, nothing has been so transformative as us 
being going from a reactive to a proactive approach. And that's what we're doing with the COVID vaccine with the JAT forms too, going from reacting to giving the vaccine to being proactive at anticipating the needs of the vaccine. That has caught the eye of not only other pharmacies, so we were able to grow the network, but it's also caught the eye of the state, people in the state. The Department of Health has reached out to the CPESN Minnesota network to talk to us about helping with, with things in the pandemic that are kind of like they couldn't see their providers. So they knew that people weren't going to their providers and the incidence of other diseases wasn't going away. For instance, they knew that heart attacks and strokes were still occurring, but the number of people going to their providers for heart attacks and strokes was dropping tremendously. So the Department of Re- the, the Minnesota Department of Health reached out to the CPESN network to ask us to do screenings. And now from that, they've reached out to us to see if we would be uh, interested in grant projects involved in cardiovascular screenings and um, making sure that people are being, again, more proactive at taking care of preventing diabetes, preventing uh, other cardiovascular events. So, so that part of the hope building a true business plan is actually something that did come true, even though I don't usually like to base the whole business plan on hope. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, again, it's it's great to see that it when you know you 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 want to find those silver linings and and uh, you know when there is adversity, it's independent pharmacies. That's one of the stories that we see across the country every time we talk to our pharmacy leaders and and pioneer users all over the country is you know how they've been able to step up and how they've been able to demonstrate their value in a meaningful way. And you you have to wonder if you know you're you're facing these challenges and and being reactive in ways and you you have to think primary care physicians are are facing similar challenges and hopefully they're seeing where independent pharmacy and groups like CPESN can help fill those gaps so it's an exciting time i'm i'm curious to see what you know um what will come when the dust settles a little bit and and what new problems have have will emerge that pharmacies can step up to when all of a sudden, yeah, there's been a whole year of patients not going to the to the doctor like they should and and putting off preventative care and um, you know maybe not being diagnosed for mental health issues or uh, you know I, I know there's everybody's been snacking uh, and and not eating as as healthy as they should be in isolation so. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of changes on the way. Um, so I'll let you get back to it. I know we're we're closing in on the hour, and I know you guys are super busy up there. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, and I hope we can have you back really soon. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, and I really enjoyed it. Have a great day. All right, you too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Scripts, presented by the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please support our channel by liking, subscribing, and clicking the notification bell so that you'll be notified anytime we post new content. To stay up to date with all of the latest independent pharmacy news and content, follow PioneerRx on your preferred social media platform. 